Good morning. I'm reading this morning from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right. Thank you, Belinda. Good morning. Cole asked me to, to preach today, and he said, okay, we're, we're going through a series on the ministry of Jesus, so you can pick any passage about Jesus that you want and cover that. There's a lot of options, and, uh, and honestly, it's kind of difficult to figure, okay, if I got one shot, what is it that I want to communicate about the heart of Christ? I picked this passage. I told my kids last night, I said, guys, if you come to one church service and you hear one message, this would be my choice. I think this is the passage of Scripture that sums up the, the message of Jesus, um, the work of God and the Holy Spirit and of Christ, and, um, and the heart of his ministry. You know, there's 89 chapters in the four Gospels. There's seven places in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am, and he describes who he is, usually through an, uh, a metaphor. I am the gate. I am the way. I'm the good shepherd. There's only one place in all of the four Gospels that Jesus describes his heart, that Jesus describes how he feels about me, how he feels about you. And I think if we understand the heart of Christ and we understand what he is wanting to do in our life, it changes the way that we approach um, him as a person. It changes the way that we can approach the throne of God. And it's good news. This morning, I've got nothing but good news to tell you guys. I think that at the end of this uh, time, as we realize and unpack this scripture, um, it should be one where our hearts are just full. And we go out with abundant joy and the abundant life that Jesus promises us. So let me, uh, let me hook this up. I'm not seeing these screens on that screen. So we got today's message. And I can get out here and talk and look back over my shoulder if I need to. Okay, so we're going to do that. I'm just going to step down here. That's all right. Oh, because I need to read the word. <laughs> okay, let me start. So let's, let's uh, say a word about the passage that Belinda read for us today. Um, you know, I think we possess, this tells us that Jesus came to give us rest, and it is um, I'm going to try to just go through this. I think it's moving itself up a little bit. So Jesus says, come to me, all you, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I want to talk a little bit about the restlessness that Jesus is speaking to when he talks to the crowd in this message. There's a restlessness that we have, one, in terms of trying to find our way, like what's our purpose? Why are we here? How do we fit into the grand scheme, the story arc of human history? And so in eternity, 
we look around and we say, why am I here? And in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we have these questions, and we're trying to sort this out. How do we fit into God's story? But then we also have a a restlessness about a sense that things aren't the way that they should be. In the world, the world's broken. There's a rightness that we intuitively know. And as we look around, we see things that are broken, things that happen, tragedies that occur, crimes, trauma. And we say, that's not right. It shouldn't be like that. It's, it's not, we don't need an education to look at a tragic event and say, that is morally wrong. And so there's a sense of rightness. We can also look at our own life and we can say, I'm not right. There's things in my own life that are not the way that they should be. And we can seek that from God. There was a, a philosopher and mathematician in the 17th century named Blaise Pascal. A lot of you guys have heard of him. He had a quote that spoke to this. He says, There was once a man a true happiness of which there now remains in him only a mark and an empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all of his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help that he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object that is only by God himself. This was written in 1670. He's in France. He's thinking through life. He's coming up with um, a thoughtful approach to the questions that all of us ask. And it's from this that you started to hear this God-shaped vacuum idea. You know, that we have something in us that needs to be filled, and there's a restlessness of trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum. So we look to the scripture that we have today. If I can go forward. We're going to need a scripture. Okay. (laughs) Oh, this reminds us of this. So there was a time in the 60s for all the young kids, there was a great American astronaut named Tom Hanks. (laughs) And Kevin Bacon. They were astronauts that were on Apollo 13. And they say, Houston, we have a problem. And that's where we find ourselves as humans, right? So the invitation of Jesus Christ is to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to focus first just on this first piece that says, come to me. Thankfully, Jesus does not say, hey, clean yourself up, fix yourself, get it all worked out, solve all the problems, and then let's talk. He simply says, come. And with the word of come, he's saying, hey, I'm acknowledging this separation that exists, that we were made to live in communion together, but sin has broken that. And now you are distant. You are apart from. You are away from me. And all I'm asking you to do is just to turn and to take a step of come in faith. Come to me. So Jesus This is a challenge that every other religion has. Every other religion says, you've got to figure it out. You've got to qualify yourself. You've got to measure your human performance in a way that gets you to a place of 
qualification. Jesus is the only one in all of human history that has an exclusive proposition that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive, take it or leave it position. And people have to figure out, what am I going to do with the statements of Christ? Am I willing to accept that? Am I willing to come? Am I willing to go to Jesus? When he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, let me kind of break that down a little bit. The original Greek means all. It means everyone. And as we think about that, it reminds me of this image, this painting by Rembrandt. I'm sure this is familiar to many, but this is a painting that Rembrandt did that's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And when we hear the story of the prodigal son, we hear the story of a father who's in the red on the left. He's got his hands on the back of the son. You see the son's one shoe's off, the clothes are threadbare. He's returning back. And, and when Jesus told this parable of the prodigal son, he said the son is helping out with the pigs. He's in the filth. He's fighting the pigs over the scraps of food. And when he came to his senses, he realized his need, and he wanted to go back home. And so in one sense, we are all the prodigal, right? Some of us feel like your human, your life story has been more of a prodigal story than others. Uh, but there's a real awareness of our own sin. And we're, and we're really wanting our Father to accept us back into his graces. You know, there's another person in the story as well, though. If you look on the right side, you see the lights also cast onto the face of the older brother. And in the story, remember, the older brother is the one who played by the rules. He did everything right. He said, God, I've, or Father, I've, I've served you well. I've not gone off and blown it. I've done what the family wanted me to do. I played by the rules. What else do I need to do? And I think between those two characters, we're all going to find every single person, that when we talk about being weary and heavy laden, for the prodigal, it's the person who's carrying around the heavy burden of shame for their sin. They feel disqualified. They feel like if, if people really knew what's gone on in my heart and all the stuff that I've done in my track record, they wouldn't want to accept me. And so we're approaching God with contrition and we're approaching him uh, with a desire to be restored. For the older brother, it's saying, I'm weary and heavy burden. And in this chapter in, in Matthew 11, Jesus was talking to people before these verses. And he says, the Pharisees have put all these rules, these burdens on you that they can't even keep. And so there's a religious, self-righteous side of this where burdened and heavy laden are people who are working so hard and playing by the rules and doing everything that they feel like they need to do to earn the Father's affection. And Jesus is coming to both camps, and he's saying, all of you, come to me, and I will give you rest. Okay, so I'm sure that some people feel cool, like they re sit in one camp, and other people feel like they sit in another camp, and other people are like, you know, I got both of those things going on in my life at the same time and at different seasons. That's where I am, okay? I've been on both camps. So you're in good company. You're not alone. 
The next section he says, and I will give you rest. Now, I'll, I'll admit to you, when I used to read this scripture when I was growing up, I love this scripture, it's always spoken to my heart, but I kind of viewed it like this, right? So it's like the Jimmy Buffett Jesus, right, with a corona, he's inviting you to the beach, it means you don't have to work, you can take a vacation, you've earned it, I'll give you rest, no heavy burden, just come on to the beach and have a cold one. I'm thinking that there's more to it than this. And I like Jimmy Buffett Jesus. Jimmy Buffett Jesus is great. And I think there's probably going to be a time in, in eternity, at some point in the future, that I will enjoy a cold beer with Jesus on a beach in heaven. I don't think that's unbiblical. I think that that could fit into the grid. If God wants it, it could happen. But here we're talking about something that's more meaningful. And thank the Lord we're talking about something that's, that's deeper than this. This is what we strive for. This is what Corona uses to sell beer. Because this is the optimal thing here on earth. Jesus is talking about something that's so much better than this. All right? Picture the old 1942 Dodge that's in Mike Kearney's garage right now. When we talk about rest, we're talking about thorough restoration. We're talking about taking... Not just rest as deliverance from work and labor, but rest in being restored back to the intended function, back to the intended nature. So I'm going to look down below that and tie these two pieces together because when Jesus said this, he said, I come to give you rest, but then in the next line down, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. This is not just about taking five, coming back in a bit. This isn't taking a breather. This is soul rest, deep rest. So there's a verse in Titus about how this happens. It says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is a Trinitarian work where God the Father creates us for his good works. And because of sin, we're broken away from that. Jesus has the heart that wants to restore us and bring us back into communion with God. And the Holy Spirit allows this act to happen, this regenerative work in our hearts that brings us from a place of brokenness, that brings us from a place of weariness and being heavy laden and brings us into a place of fullness and restoration. There's two ways that he does this. The first way is Jesus is our mediator. Okay, so mediator is like where you have two parties that are broken and are apart from, a mediator stands in the gap. You know, David Kimmel is a, a licensed mediator. He performs a role where he goes in and he does conflict resolution and he brings the two parties to the table and when they arrive, there's hostility and animosity and, and a difference and separation. And through the process of him working back and forth like a bridge, that harmony is restored. Okay. So a verse about this that we'll camp out on for just a minute 
is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And the verse says, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So if we break this down a little bit, you see the first section of that is all about God and where he is. It says that Jesus ascended into heaven. He is up there at the throne of God where everything is perfect, where God reigns, and where holiness exists. And if you look at the last section of this, it says, this is where we are. This is our role to play. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and we may find grace to help us in our time of need. How is it that we can have a holy and infinite God that we're totally separated from and in our human brokenness, we can approach that throne of grace in confidence? And the answer is found in this middle verse. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Jesus' work is the connection between God and man. And in that, we see God as, or Jesus as a mediator. So the mediation is what happens that allows us to come into a place of salvation. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. He's saying that to the people who are away from God, who are distant, who are just becoming aware of their own sin, and are discovering the salvation gift that God offers through Jesus Christ. And so we see God as a, we see Jesus as a mediator. But I also want to point out one other thing here. When Jesus says, I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls, he's speaking in the future tense, right? There's an ongoing nature to this as well. That we don't just come to God once and we're done and God fixes us, right? I mean, anyone who's been a believer for any number of years can tell you, like, I still mess up. I need to ask for forgiveness today and yesterday. I mean, this week, I've had, like, Jen, kids, forgive me for being like that. Last night, they're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being like that? And I'm like, I'm, you're right. I'm sorry. So I, I have to go back 15 hours, and of that, only seven waking hours. Once we're saved, we're not cleaned up automatically. There's this process that happens. So the first piece, when we are saved, that's our salvation, that's the gift that God does. And in that moment, he says, hey, for all eternity, I'm going to see you through this lens of Jesus. So when I look at you, I see the righteousness of Christ put on you. But we're on the other side, and we're still jacked up. We're still broken. We still deal with addiction. We still deal with insecurities. We still deal with imperfections. And God says, okay, I want to do a work that helps shape you into the image of Jesus even while you're here on this earth. And so for that, we have Jesus as our advocate. 
So Jesus is our mediator, and Jesus is our advocate. And look at this great verse from 1 John 2, 2 chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Great. That would be wonderful if we did not sin. I'm so thankful for the second part of this verse. It says, But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, who's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So his work as a mediator is something that happens once and it's done and it's good for all. His work as an advocate, I think, is something that's ongoing, that Jesus is stepping back. He's waiting and he's watching, he's loving and he's shepherding our hearts. And when we blow it, he steps in at that time and he says, let me make a case for why this guy is still on the right track. God, let me make a case for why this sin is something that needs to go back and be put on me when I was on the cross. And so there's this work that happens once and for all as a mediator, and there's a work that happens every day where Jesus continues to make a case. He continues to speak on our behalf. And that's good news, right? So we say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I want to talk about the yokes. And, and honestly, when I heard this message in the past, most of the time, they just went to the yoke. The yoke was kind of the big deal, Right? Um, I want to look at it a little differently and add an a, a angle to it. I want to go back to Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 says this. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When I was a kid, I thought this was like the lottery ticket. Right? Delight myself in the Lord, and then he will be like a genie, and I can rub it, and I can ask for a new Ferrari. I can do whatever I want because I desire it. He's going to give it to me. I'd put a different angle on it. Let's think of it more like this, that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he implants into our heart the desires and the appetites and the cravings and the purposes that he's called us to. So he gives us these desires, but he puts them into our heart, and then we start saying, you know what? I used to love to sin, but now I just don't have much of an appetite for that. I used to love to want my own way all the time, but now I'm starting to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I used to love, and I wasn't even offended by all of this brokenness and depravity, but now he's put in a gift. He's an He's implanted into my heart a desire for purity, and he's restored that. And he changes us. He changes us to look like Jesus over the longer term. As we look at our life today, we know we're not perfect, but we can look back and we can say, but thank the Lord I'm not where I was five years ago, 10 years, 20 years ago, right? So delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
How does he do that? He does it through the yoke. So a yoke, this is for anyone that's never used a yoke. I mean, because we've all used yokes, right? I've never used a yoke. Even from Oklahoma in an agrarian state like Oklahoma, we got to explain the yoke. So here's, here's a yoke. Apparently, and this is all kind of theoretical. Let me ask, has anyone actually ever used a yoke? Clay. Okay, Clay, come stand up and tell me about the yoke. How does it work? And I'm not shocked that you've used a yoke before, but... Yeah. So Clay's carrying, you know, 100 pounds of bricks on either side, and he's got this over his shoulders, and it's functioning like this. Thank you, Clay. I'm not shocked at all that Clay's the one guy that's used a yoke. So they use this to carry water in the third world. Clay uses it to carry bricks in the first world, you know. It's this thing you place upon your shoulders, and it helps you become a beast of burden. So in an agrarian context, there would be um, a water oxen or a cow or a horse. And they, they place this wooden device over their shoulders, right? And it can be for one or it can be uh, for two. Typically, it's for two because you need the two horsepower to pull this thing up the hill. And what it is is a lot of times they'll take the more senior established workhorse when they're trying to break a young, a young horse, and they'll yoke the senior horse and the young horse together. And the young horse is all jumping around and, and off track, and the senior horse is walking and really carrying the load just because of their height and stature. And the young horse looks over, and he starts to watch what the senior horse does. And he walks how he steps, and he walks how he approaches challenges. When they come up to rocks and ditches and things like that, how he navigates through those things. And in time, the young horse is trained up by walking with the senior horse. And the older horse, because of his height, is carrying the load unevenly. And the young horse is kind of getting a free ride. So with Jesus, Jesus comes back and he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. So he's contrasting this weary, heavy, laden laborer. And Jesus says, I got something new for you. Take my yoke and learn from me. And he describes his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus designed it where his yoke is no yoke at all. It's not a yoke of work. It's a yoke of partnership. It's a yoke of abiding. And so as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he changes our hearts. He changes our life. He makes us look like him. Jesus says this, and I'm going to run through this quickly so we can wrap up in time, but this runs so deep. A lot of scriptures are like icebergs where you can see it a little bit on the front, but as you look and ask the Spirit to open your eyes to the truth of this message, it just runs so deep. 
We can't consume it all. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the one place in Scripture that he describes his heart towards you. And we look at this, you know, gentle reminds us back of Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See how this, it's not like God's coming out with like 50 different things here that are all disjointed. They all just tie together into a central message of Jesus saying, I'm here to walk with you and to restore all the stuff that's broken in your life. And I'm not going to do that with judgment, and I'm not going to do that with condemnation, and I'm not going to do it with a harsh word. I'm going to do it gently, and we're going to do it together. He says he's lowly in heart. And this reminds me of in Philippians where we look and we see that Jesus was with God, and he chose to come all the way down to human form. He says he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And so when he says, I'm lowly in spirit, on one hand it means, hey, I get where you are because I came down to where you are. I was born in a stable that smelled like manure. I grew up in the dirt. I've had all of these human realities that you struggle with. I've been there. He's also lowly in heart in his understanding. If we go back to that Hebrews 4, 15, it says that he can empathize with our weakness. Why? Because he's been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. So there's nothing that we've gone through. Nothing. That Jesus, in terms of temptation... That is more temptation than what Jesus felt or is a greater temptation or a darker or more sinister or more depraved temptation than what Jesus felt. He's been tempted in every way. Yet the thing that's different is instead of where we gave in and where we said, okay, because I'm jacked up, because I'm only human, I'm going to accept and, and turn away from God in this. In those moments, Jesus said, no, I'm not. And he stayed the course, and he did it without sin. So here's, here's a, a question that I'd have for you. Why wouldn't anyone accept this gift? Why wouldn't anyone take this and be like, that's the best thing I've heard all week? Because not everyone accepts the gift. People hear this message all the time, and they don't accept the gift, right? Right? There's a few reasons, and, I, and I'll close it with this, and this is encouraging. I think one of the reasons that people don't accept the gift is, one, they don't understand who Jesus was. They see Jesus as this harsh, judging, um, distant person. Well, that's not who Jesus was at all. I mean, the Scripture lays that out. If you believe the words of Jesus and you believe he was who he said he was here, it could be that some people feel like, you know, I don't think that he really wants me. I think I'm just too jacked up, too messed up, too dirty. If he really knew all the ways I've disqualified myself from his service, someone else deserves it more than I do. 
I'm disqualified. I have had seasons in life where I felt that myself. Okay, I don't know what's in your story, what's in your life journey, but there have been moments where I'm like, oh, I am worthless. I've just blown it big time. You deal with addiction, you deal with shame, you deal with brokenness, and you get to a point where you're like, God, I know you started this off with me having every opportunity to walk with you and to have a good life, but from this point forward, I don't see it. And I've got a good word for you in that. If you can relate with that at all, I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands, but I think that all of us can to some extent, that at some point in the journey you've said, I'm disqualified. Here's a good word. In John 6, 37, it says, this is Jesus talking, and Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay? I will never cast out. If you come to me, I will never cast out. Now, this verse we go back to the days of Blaise Pascal, at the same time, there was another guy that lived across the English Channel named John Bunyan. And whereas Blaise was highly educated and very elite and articulate, and everyone gave him a ton of regard, Bunyan was a common man with a limited education, but he knew the Lord. And this verse captured his heart so much that he wrote a book called Come and Welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote a whole book just about this one verse. In Bunyan's verse, he read the old King James Version, and it said this. It says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And I want to close with this. I want to close with just a an excerpt from Bunyan's book. And I want you just to listen through the old English, but think of how this applies to your life. It says, and this is from Bunyan's book, it says, in his, um, for this word in no wise cutteth the throat of all objections. And it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end. And to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. And it is, as it were, the sum of all promises. Neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that thou findest in thee. That this promise will not assoil. Let me read that last sentence again. Neither can any objections be made upon the unworthiness that thou findest in thee that this promise will not assoil. Whatever you can come up with, this verse speaks to that. You can't have a sin that is greater than the grace of Jesus. You can't have a history or a life track that is too disqualified to outreach or to outpace the love and the pursuit of God and his gift of restoration. Bunyan says, but I am a great sinner, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. 
But I am a hard-hearted sinner, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out. But I am a backsliding sinner, sayest thou. Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. But I've served Satan all of my days. Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. But I have sinned against the light, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, sayest thou. I will in no wise cast out. Bunyan says, this promise was provided to answer all objections, and it doth answer them. So, let's pray. God, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of life that you gave us. And when we, when we have rejected it, you pursue us and you continue to give us life. We thank you for Jesus and for his gift of restoration. We thank you that there is nothing that we can do to separate us from your love and your pursuit of our hearts. That there is nothing that you can, that can reach your limits of your love. And we thank you that you just, you don't ask for us to clean ourselves up, but you just ask for us to come to you. And that once you've got us, God, you don't cast us out. You continue to restore us, and Christ, his mediation is complete, and his advocacy is never-ending. And God, that is good news. We pray that you just continue to reveal this to us. I pray that if there's anybody here today who does not know you, has not made a decision to say, that makes sense and that's what I've been looking for. Pray that they'd come talk to me or to Cole or to other elders in the church today, God. I pray that they would approach your throne with confidence, knowing that you have created a path to bring them into the communion that you created for them to experience. In Jesus' name we pray.